Welcome to Business Unmuted, a business discussion programme from the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new, used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Moulton or York. Now, businesses are increasingly confident that they can use high inflation to rebuild their margins, according to the Lloyds Bank Business Barometer. Confidence among firms has risen for the first time since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, rising by five points on the index to reach 38%, significantly higher than the long-term average of 28%. Asking prices for homes have also hit a record high. The average price of a house was hitting the market at £250,000 in April, according to the property website Zoopla. Now that's 8.4% higher than a year ago. But the pace of growth is also cooling, down from 9% in March, which could plunge to 3.5% by the end of the year, according to experts. Asking prices are also being cut in a sign that demand is falling and supply rising. The share of homes listed for sale with an asking price discount of 5% or more has risen on the listing site Zoopla. Now, my guests today to talk about those and other things in the business uh, community are Ben Quintrell, founder of My Property Box, a digital-based lettings and estate agents, Jack Roberts, CEO of Slothmove, which is making it easier and safer for people to move home, and Russell Howarth, who is CEO of NBS Construction, an integrated global platform for the construction industry. Welcome to the programme. Uh, I tell you what, Russell, I'm going to start with you first, because uh, at first hearing, your business is a bit more complicated than others, but it does bring a little bit of a scale to construction and associated uh, trades when it comes to finding parts and getting things right in specification and building. Tell us what you do and where you're based. Yeah, well, first of all, great to be here. Um, for those that may not know the world of construction and specification, we essentially work with a SaaS-based platform, uh, meaning that it's uh, all cloud-based, accessed anywhere. And we provide software for architects who are looking to specify, meaning they'd be able to outfit and uh, go through and specify a building or a room, uh, school or whatever. And we provide architects the software to select what uh, is compliant with code and regulation and is able to select the best products to fit into their specification criteria. So the other side of the business is to working with manufacturers and suppliers who want to uh, essentially position their products into the specification process. So if I made something as basic as a drain pipe, and it had a certain circumference and a certain length, or it was, one was made of plastic, one was made of iron. Are they the kind of things that you could find on your platform? And when you're doing your CAD design and uh, the architect's practice, maybe build it in? Absolutely. And what we're seeing more and more is that um, manufacturers and suppliers want to be part of that process because it's such a valuable uh, point of which they get selected and incorporated into the specification. And increasingly what we're seeing is uh, suppliers incorporating not just the dimensions, but equally more around the sustain sustainability mm -hmm. uh, criteria of their products, mm -hmm. where you know when an architect's trying to build uh, a building, they want to make sure that it's certified, it has uh, all the compliance procedures around fire safety or uh, uh, safety equipment more generally. Uh, but equally, uh, more and more, uh, people are looking at 
the sustainability criteria or the embedded carbon in products. A bit. This happens in the food industry. Many, many years ago, it was started where you were able to follow something from the farm to the plate using software and, and uh, a computerization. And the supermarkets would be able to recall a product if there was a food scare. I suppose it's the same with you. If, 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 you, if, if architects were to use your service, then there'd be a, an instant digital uh, footprint of everything that was involved in their design. Well, ultimately, there's something called the, the golden thread that's going through the industry at the moment. And, and ideally, uh, that would be the process that happens, which is you get specified the product it then goes into the build. Where it tends to fall down is that sometimes these products get substituted uh, by the contractors who they say, actually, we, we found a product that is very similar and we're going to substitute that because we think that uh, is a cheaper way of providing the building. And therefore, you know, there, there's some of the challenges that you've got as an industry, because mm -hmm. what we're trying to say is actually is the golden thread that goes through that should be the product that gets specified uh, is uh, goes through to the construction. <clears throat> and if it's not, at least it's as good as and meets all the safety criteria and the criteria of the original specification. Yeah. So th through that whole process, uh, I think the industry has got a long way to go. Uh, we are one of the ways in which uh, the industry can uh, use data and software and technology to address some of those challenges. Now, it is interesting that all three of my guests today have software as a service, as a core to their offering. And Ben, who's in our studio, will talk to you properly in a minute, Ben, but you're an estate agent and letting agency, but your software was the starting point for your business. But let's, let's first, first of all pick up on Jack, because you've got a new business. We've got Russell in, in Newcastle and Jack in Leeds, and your software as a service too, and it relates to property. Tell us your efficacy, what's it all about? Yeah, well, firstly, thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. So Sloth Move is a online change of address and home setup service. So everybody who's moved is fully aware of the hassle and the sort of headache of moving home. So what our platform, our technology enables you to do is instead of having you know, the same conversation 21 times, you can actually update your address across dozens of different organizations, you know, the NHS, the DVLA, your council tax, your water, you know, your loyalty cards, electoral roll, et cetera. Uh, in one really sort of easy to use form in just a couple of minutes. Um, so our average sort of user saves around sort of 12 hours of time. It's not just time saving, but it's also quite important. There are things you can forget to. I remember moving house, oh, about 15 years ago, and I had forgotten to update my driving license with my new address. And I remember being told by a police officer one day at a regular stop, I hadn't done anything wrong. It was one of those cases where it was just a regular stop. Uh, my driving license, what's your address? And it was wrong. And I had to go and correct it. But um, that was against the law, actually. Your driving license has to be updated with your regular address. Yeah, and, it it and just fell can, through the cracks in my mind. There are many <laughs> cracks in my mind. Absolutely. And, and you can be fine for that, by yeah. the DVLA, actually. And, you know, we get this feedback all the time, actually. I think when you're going through the process, there's so many different things. Pensions is a classic example. You know, lots of people forget who their pension providers are. So people find it very helpful to, be able to consolidate all that sort of activity uh, and avoid the things. I mean, the other issue you get as well is sort of your mail going to a complete stranger. You know, I'm sure everyone's had mail from a previous resident. You know, it's, it's a complete nightmare. So uh, it's a really live problem people sort of face on a day-to-day basis. There is a, a financial security element to this as well. And um, there's the, uh, I can't remember what the 
term is, but the idea of someone uh, hijacking the ownership of your house, or for that matter, something as simple as a mail being redirected and uh, it containing sensitive information. So is that uh, one of the uh, reasons that people might be buying this service? Yeah, well, I think there's a service provided via land registry, which is land registry alerts, which lets you know if someone does the sort of relevant checks on your property that's been sold on your behalf. There's quite a prolific case in the in media on that recently. But where we sort of had a lot of IT users around that kind of security, um, you know, making sure the mail is going to the right place um, when you've moved and actually updating your address at the source with those particular providers. So the security, data security, there's a time saving element and then there's also a money saving element. So it kind of brings those three core principles together. Okay, and just before we move on to Ben, what, what is the cost of using the service? I, if I was moving house, in fact, my, the technician behind the glass what, uh, administering this programme, uh, he's going to move house soon. What's it going to cost him to go on and, and use the service? Yeah, brilliant. So at the moment, slotting is available between 20 to £35. Uh, it's just a one-off fee. Um, and you come through to our dashboard after that. So um, yeah, quite, quite low cost, actually, and cheaper than a redirection. Okay. And Nick, can I just jump yeah. in there as well? Jack, Jack, I think it's absolutely brilliant because as an agent, we spend hours on the phone to utilities, hours lost. Everyone will confide in that because everyone does that to, you know, Northumbria Water, whoever, whoever it is, and it takes forever to do that. And if this service for £25 saves you that time, it's, it's really good. Time is money. Now, when it comes to your agency, you, you started with this digital uh, approach, didn't you? You moved from just digital to now bricks and mortar selling bricks and mortar so tell us how it started and and how the digital offering distinguished you absolutely so um, i left uni in 2003 worked for an agency locally till 2012 i uh, registered the company in june 2012 and um, at the time it was i just wanted to put the digital stamp on, on on agency and back then no one had facebook pages or digital platforms apps anything like that so we just started to get the tech behind everything, and we have like we have, we had a landlord portal, tenant apps, and, and and all this, which just made the user a lot easier. Yeah, um, I, I, I as a <laughs> landlord, if you had a house that was renting out, you could see if the tenant had paid, you could see if absolutely. if a repair was needed, you could see if your certificates were there as a tenant, you could see if the relevant certificates were there, presumably. And absolutely. So, so tenants can log in, and um, they can upload, you know, pictures of any maintenance needs mm. reporting, mm. and they have like obviously a log of what's happened as well. Um, and that comes through to us. The landlords can log in, as you say, they can download statements, reports, you know, the accounts report that, uh, you know, accounts would need. So you like started that. this a good few years ago now, but the, the growth has been so much that you've been able to buy out a number of the more traditional letting agents, haven't you, and grown that way? Absolutely, yeah. So as Jack and Russell know, the industry at the moment is changing so fast. And in the, the agency world, um, you know, it's coming to the point where, and, and we all know it, it's, if you're looking at property now, you're actually, you know, on your phone, really, you don't mm. walk up and down the high street unfortunately into half a dozen estate agents asking what properties they have available it is on it is on your phone or your computer or your ipad so um so yeah all we've done is uh, just taking the digital approach by uh, taking over these smaller agencies and um bringing them into a hub office and just using technology to you know uh continue the service and you've moved from rental to rental and sales i know you've i've seen in yorkshire you've got quite a few boards i was driving through richmond the other day and there was my property box boards on some rather nice uh, georgian houses for sale so uh, is that going well absolutely yeah so uh, we, i say we've done eight acquisitions now and um, the one last year was an estate agency that had lettings portfolio and um, yeah in north yorkshire that, that's that's where it was so yeah with, with the sales market when we came out of i think 
lockdown last year or lockdown one or two that the the market just erupted and uh, it was good timing from our point of view from launching the sales department and yeah for a whole year the market as, as you all know has been has been on fire. Well, I, I mentioned the market at the beginning, and that was national data. But um, what, what, how do you feel about it in the north of England, Yorkshire, and the northeast? So um, it's it's still buoyant. Um, the investor market particularly is busy. We have all these um, southern investors from the south and, and existing investors from the northeast buying up uh, properties all over HMO, student accommodation, single lets, multiple lets, um, social housing. It's all still very busy. There's we we do a lot of networking as as you know Graham and and, and especially the property ones, you know the, the room is thirty to forty percent southern coming up and investing in the market. So the the bottom end of the market is still really strong. Top end of the market's probably just starting to level off a little bit. Inquiries just just starting to level off. Um, now I suppose a lot of the reason is is investment returns. You talked about the yield in the north yeah. of England being higher. Yes. Uh, if you spend a hundred thousand pound buying a house for rental purposes, then you are likely to have a similar rent than you would in the south of England for 200, aren't you? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, 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 the, so the attraction of the northeast, and I know I'm biased because I live here and, and, and live in Yorkshire, and, and, but I think it's it's by far the, one of the best places in the country to invest, and, and the yield's higher up here. But now, finally, after all these years, we've got capital growth as well, which is something that's not happened for a long time. Uh, capital growth also equals asset growth. So if, mm-hmm. if, if someone is buying uh, a property to rent out, then yeah, they won't just get income from it, but when they eventually pass pass it on or, or sell it on, Absolutely. it will have grown. That's right. Now, um, the question I've got, in, what are the threats to this? Uh, interest rates going up means mm-hmm. that people will get m- more money than they otherwise would in the bank. Yes. Uh, that, that is a threat. What about other legislative threats? I've heard uh, the Shadow Chancellor talking about uh, the national insurance rise and her jingle on this is that the government is putting national insurance up on tenants but people who own properties are not paying any more income on the on the, on the return. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's all sorts. Um, obviously minimum wage as well is another one. Um, but even with you know things like that, it's it's still you know it's unfortunately for some people rents have also gone up as well. So it's all relative, really. You know, costs are going up, um, and and it's all relative. But um, it's still even even with the interest rates, if you calculate all down the return on investment, yields are still very good, and there isn't many that can can really beat it. So yeah, there's a lot happening, but I still feel it's still. Okay, let's just pivot it just gently into the work that Russell's doing. You've got this database of all the parts and uh, the components that uh, that the architects would want to specify. Clearly, you will be uh, sensitive to the property market because things being built equals people using your service. Um, The commercial property market, though, is also ticking up. What what are you seeing in terms of the users of your service and the market? Where's the connection, Russell? Well, I mean, <clears throat> for um, overall construction in the commercial space is is still going uh, reasonably strong, and uh, you know where where we're seeing is you know, any potential slowdown in that area will obviously affect architectural activity. Um, that will affect the the uh, ability or the demand over time. But um, you know, people have still got to specify. They're still got to make sure that they are uh, looking at how best and safe to build a property and. Uh, and so the software that we provide hopefully will endure uh, the test of uh, markets. But uh, I think we're all very sensitive to that. On the other side of the market, we've got uh, suppliers who are lynched in many of the challenges around supply chains. And so supply chains being what they are at the moment uh, means that not only are prices going up very rapidly, but actually supply 
uh, is very, very difficult. So for some, uh, it's, it's not that they don't have the work, it's just they can't physically get hold of the goods and materials uh, that they need to fulfill the jobs. Okay. Uh, ben, supply chain is also affecting uh, property listings, isn't it? The great thing an estate agent will always say to you is, never been a better time to sell. Uh, this yeah. is sort of the, the jingle, to use that phrase, of, a, of an estate agent. But, and that's probably true now because there's hardly anything on the market. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That, that's, that's particularly for lettings, you know, sales and lettings as well. The choice, um, for, for particularly for letting properties, is, is, is minimal. And that's why things like HMOs now in, in Teesside and, and North Yorkshire are so popular. Professional HMOs five years ago weren't, weren't mm. here really. And um, yeah, it's just the demand is so high and, and the supply is so small. If there is f fewer, uh, if there are fewer houses for sale, there will be fewer transactions. Um, is that something you're seeing, Jack? Because obviously you'd be able to monitor transactions with the number of people using the site. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, actually. So we've seen growth across our user base, but I think that's because in our case, there aren't exactly competitors to what we do. So our market's kind of a bit more of a of a blue ocean in some senses, whereas perhaps like an estate agency market and et cetera is quite quite well developed and there's lots of different players. Um, we're at the stage in our business where we're tapping into lots of different people and educating on the fact that this new service exists. Um, but we do tend to see those ebbs and flows as the market does sort of change, but on the main, we're sort of trending upwards. Okay, by the way, Ben, I find it perplexing that there are fewer transactions, but it takes longer to get a search through. It does, yeah. I mean, most um, conveyancing solicitors and agents at the moment, we're still doing okay because there's such a backlog, but it's the pipeline that they'll feel it in a few more months. So at the moment, it still feels okay, but mm. because there's such a backlog, and as you say, because of searches and other things, it's exactly. slowed down. So yeah, there's still a lot of property completions to go through. Now, I'm going to ask you, just change the subject in the last part of the programme, just for a couple of minutes, and talk about the state of employment and, and the jobs market, because uh, all four of us on this discussion are employers, and I wonder if we've all had similar problems recruiting. Um, there seems to be a real tightening of the jobs market. Now, Russell, you're in Newcastle. I've been to your building. It's at the old post office in Newcastle, isn't it? And it's a very, very glamorous place for which people would want to work, I'm sure. Uh, but you're wanting skilled people to operate it. Are you finding that you know the market is tight for the kind of people you need to bring in? Yeah, I mean, tight in two respects. One of which is attracting people, and the other of which is retaining. Yeah. And I think both of those are, are real challenges at the moment because there's such a fluidity of talent. Um, you know, the COVID has been a bit of a leveler when it comes to where you can be based, and so. You know, where we are trying to attract talent now is not just in the Northeast. We're trying to look at countrywide and uh, we're having to do that because of the constraints that we've got on availability of talent. So historically, we used to just look in the, or primarily look in the uh, Newcastle area. Um, we used to use the office as a real draw card mm. uh, for people to want to join the organization. And of course, a lot of that is less relevant now. Um, one, because we're recruiting, whether it's technology staff or sales staff right the way across the country. Uh, but equally, the, the, the acute skill shortage and demand for particularly technical staff, uh, I think everybody feels that um, when you're in a business that's primarily run by technology. And you know, we've got software developers and uh, QAs and all sorts of people across that technological spectrum. Uh, but it's not just that, it's it's finding really good salespeople. And so we find, uh, because we're in that intersect of technology 
and construction, uh, a squeeze for people. And, and I think it's probably reflective of uh, most tech orientated businesses nowadays where, you know, it, it, you may be able to attract people from across the country. It doesn't mean to say that it's any easier. I just want to throw this in to all of you for a comment. Because I, I run a PR firm, it's and you run you run a techie kind of agency, and both of you uh, run tech-based firms, and these these kind of businesses are associated with younger employees. But the Sunday Times ran a really good editorial this weekend, talking about fifty-somethings. Fifty-somethings, it says, get out of your gardens. Britain needs you, and effectively, it talked about how many people in their fifties had now either taken early retirement or go to work part-time or working from home. But actually, these are the people who might want to retrain, restart and come back to the marketplace. And every year, my firm has an internship. And this year, I posted it as I always do on LinkedIn and different platforms, but I've encouraged older people to apply as well. And I put a link to that Robert De Niro comedy, The Intern, to remind people that actually, you're never too old to learn and you could still have a career. What do you each think about encouraging older people back into the workforce to fulfill your skills gap? Jack, you nod, you're, you're the youngest person on the panel, I think. You can, you can talk about it first. Yeah, well, first of all, so, well, I think Russell was absolutely right on the, on the skills shortage side of things. Most, I think, leaders of businesses cite that as a big risk. I think it's fantastic. We know that the trends are that people are staying in the workforce longer, health you know, is getting better, people will be there. Therefore, we can expect people to retrain. So I think you know, getting somebody that is in their 50s, 40s, 60s can be fantastic because you can leverage all that sort of different experience that perhaps a, a younger candidate doesn't necessarily have. So, so you'd be to- up for it. You, even though you're a trendy IT-based business, you'd be up for it. Yeah, we, we look at talent. Obviously, it's great to get people in leads throughout the UK, but you know, there is a pressure on talent. Every business wants the best individuals. Uh, and it's a global talent marketplace now. So increasingly, your next door neighbor can be working for a, a company in California and in Vanessa at the exact same time. So actually, you know, the pressure to get your employee value proposition correct for the right age groups is critical. Um, so for our perspective, absolutely, all age groups um, will, be, will be phenomenal. We debase it on the talent, not necessarily the age. Okay, Russell from MBS. Yeah, I think, you know, we are trying to attract experience as well as um, as, as uh, enthusiasm. And I think t- to the extent you can blend that and, and across all walks. And um, so, we, you know, returners, uh, people that have been out for family reasons uh, that are also thinking about whether they can come back to work. So I think if you look across the spectrum, you've got some some uh, females that have had a family and we should be attracting those back into work some really great skills there and then equally on the other side of the the the, the coin is uh, people who have perhaps taken uh, a, a different industry uh perspective we, we are really keen to attract people that um are architects that uh, may want to come and work for us that are really interested in sharing their experience and actually we've within our content team um, we've got a, over a thousand years of experience within a fairly small team because we actually have really Manage to hold on to people and attract people of all ages, particularly the people who have got lots and lots of years that are able and want to come in and share their experience uh, with uh, with the community and of, of architects, and also uh, able to bring those skills and share those with people that are perhaps younger 
in the workforce. So I, I do think that blend is actually really helpful. Okay, and Ben, I've been into your office. You're full of bright young things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's quite for the fun. But what do you think about this point the Sunday Times is um, making? No, I, I agree with, yeah, I, I agree with what Russell said. There, a couple, I don't even you know, a couple of the acquisitions we've done, the owners have actually stayed on. And, and, the, and the work for is now actually she runs the sales side and, and, yeah. and Jill and um, I think it's good to have a few a good balance across the team we do we are a bit maybe it's young a young company but I think it is important as Russell says to have them you know people who have the experience they have the life experience that have that may have worked worked in different sectors but I think it does really help your business and we love shouting about how much experience we have in the in the business that's and yes. saying that. and would you would you take on a 55 year old intern absolutely there we are there we are there's there's hope yet there's hope for me yet <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much, Russell. Thank you, Jack and Ben. Uh, joining us for another Business Unmuted next week. I won't be here. Uh, we'll be having one of my good friends uh, uh, standing in co uh, covering for me, and I'll catch you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>